Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. So I think we are in the Rashi's and we, we haven't finished um, um, the Rashi's on uh, chapter five, verse four. So chapter five, verse four of Shmot. Uh, the verse is, uh, um, the, the king of Egypt said to Fair Moshe and Aaron as they stand before him the first time, Lama Why are Moses and Aaron um, interrupting or getting in the way or bothering the people from their obligations? And that's where we were kind of lingering. Go to your burdens, go to your labors, go to your avodah. Uh, and the question we were uh, lingering on the last time we met two weeks ago is what what's meant by that word? Because anytime, particularly as we're uh, just a few days after the Seder, anytime you see the Hebrew word sivlot with respect to Egypt and Mitzrayim, it seems to be a reference to slavery because it's one of the things from which God saved us, right? Um uh, I'm going I'm to save you from your enslavement. So Pshat would seem to be basically Moses being told by Moses and Aaron being told by Pharaoh, go back to your slavery because you're, you're an Israelite too and you need to be working. Uncleish translates it as lefalchan um, chon. A pulchan in Aramaic is um, has both of the meanings in Aramaic that avodah has in uh, Hebrew. So pulchan can mean avodah as in worship, and pulchan can be avodah as in uh, obligations and work. So he doesn't help us because he's just translating the, um, uh, the, uh, the the word meaning to work or to do service into Aramaic, but not weighing in on which side or the other that it is. Uh, and we looked at some of the different translations on it, and then we were in the middle of the Rashi. So if we go to the Rashi, I'll start reading, and then we can pick up. Go to your sivlot. And again, we talked about how the root is samech bet lamid, which means uh, in Hebrew to endure, to suffer, and to tolerate all at once. Tova? Does it have the additional meaning that, that avodah has of, of service? I mean, of worship even? The, the Hebrew or, saval? Yeah. Generally not, right? So... Um, since it does not, you can imagine that if Onkelis is translating it, um, the root saval to Puchan, it, it deals not with worship, but with work, but it's not clear. Does he mean slavery work or whatever your, your duties are, whatever, whatever, go do whatever it is that you do, right? Uh, right. you want to want to invoke Harvey Corman, go do the voodoo that you do so well from Blazing Saddles. It's unclear if Onkelis is translated in such a way that, says to Pharaoh saying to them, go back into the flesh pots and back to your obligations of making bricks or whatever you were doing, go back and do it because this conversation is over. Well, I just wondered if it could possibly have the connotation of Aaron and Moshe have been asking that they be released to go worship their God. If he's saying, leave the people to their burdens and you go serve your God. Yeah, it's it's easier to read that into an Aramaic lefalchanchon than it is to read right. that into the Hebrew lefalchanchon. Yeah. If he had said lefalchanchon, right, and Uncle translated it as lefalchanchon, 
then we could have said, ah, it was Pharaoh saying, go, go do your, go, go do your davening, but don't right. get in the way of my, of my uh, slaves. It's hard to render Sivlot as something other than a burden. a burden. And the question here is this, the burden of slavery, he's considered them slaves or mm-hmm. a more mundane, go, 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 go to your tasks. Right. 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 Barbara? According to Silverman, um, he says that go to your burden doesn't mean to go to your labors as slaves. For he was speaking to Moses and Aaron, who were of the tribe of Levi, and the work of Egyptian slavery had not been imposed on the tribe of Levi. Right. So we're gonna. So Rashi is going to bring us to that point pretty soon. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm ahead. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Um, I'm re- we did it last week, but I'm reminding myself how Everett Fox translates the verb. One second. Everett Fox translates it as um, go back to your burdens, exclamation point. So he's he's leaving it properly ambiguous. Go back to your burdens, right? Okay. So then Rashi, on lechu l'sivlotechem, lechu l'melachat l'melachtechem. So he translates sivlot into malacha. That's a very intentional translation because sivlot can mean uh, a work of slavery and sivlot can just mean attack that's upon you. By turning into malacha, Rashi is saying that Pharaoh is not saying to them, go back and be my slaves, but go back to whatever work that you're doing. Go back to your jobs. That you have to do in your home, right? Like, don't bother yourself staying here in the palace. This conversation is over. Whatever you had been doing before this, I don't know what you were doing. You're not my slaves, according to this reading. Go back to do what you were doing. Aval malechet shiabud mitzrayim, but the work, the malacha of shiabud mitzrayim, the enslavement of Egypt, lo haita al shivto shelevi, was not on the shoulders of the tribe of Levi. Right now, is this a concept that anyone's ever come across that um, that the Levites were spared from slavery? We don't, you know, we certainly don't um, make reference to that in the Haggadah. That you know, we're thanking God for freeing the eleven tribes as opposed to the full twelve tribes. Um, so, and, and anyone have a comment on it, a reaction to that? That Rashi saying rather dispositively, the tribe of Levi was not enslaved. It's shocking. Say more, Barbara. Well, I mean, I like you just said, I never heard that. To me, they were all slaves. And so why would the Levies, why would the Egyptians care about the Levies? Uh, why would they segregate them and say, you don't have to be a slave and the rest have to be a slave? Doesn't sound normal, though. The Egyptians want, had conquered them and wanted them all to be slaves. Boy, so, I so if if we if we assume that Rashi is not inventing this whole cloth, um, but is 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 pulling this out of a reading of the text itself, is there anything in the text itself that gives a hint that the way we should read this is Pharaoh telling them to go back to whatever job they do and not telling them to go back to their taskmaster who's going to force them to go back, build build bricks? Like what what what? Even if it's hard to understand the real politic of why one of the tribes tribes would have been spared. What what is present that gives Rashi any reason to say this? The difference in the verbs that you just mentioned about that they're going back to to their burden to their work as opposed to the slavery type work. 
Okay. Um, except, right? Except that Sivlotechem could also potentially mean the work of slavery. Tova, what do you think? Um, I was going to say basically the same thing that, that he, he makes a division between what the people should do and what you should do, which seems to be making a difference. And of course, Aaron and Moshe are both representatives of Levi. So rather than including them with all of the people of Israel, but. Uh, Interesting, right? So we have Lama um, Why are you bothering them from their work? Instead, go do this. So there's like a, and like the, the etnachta in the verse is making a distinction between whatever slave-based obligations are on the people versus what you have to do. That's an interesting possibility as well. Most of the super, super commentaries, well, let's just, I, Rashi sort of answers this question. I'll just keep reading this one since I've started reading it. V'teidalacha, and, and know for yourself, which is basically Rashi's way of saying, here's the proof. It literally yeah. means know for yourself, but but if you're if you're wondering what makes me say that, Shaharei Moshe v'Haron Yotzim Uvaim Shalov v'Rashut. His proof is, how are they standing there, having the audacity to make this request of Pharaoh if they were in not some way free people? What's the one thing that Moshe and Aaron have in common vis-a-vis their standing amongst the Israelites? They're both Levites. Rashi learns, ah, it must be that, not that these two, but that the Levites, who, by the way, this is kind of not prescient, it's, it's evocative, are going to have a different role. They're going to be, in some ways, more burdened by God's service in the temple, right? Whereas the rest of the tribes are going to have an opportunity to choose their own career paths, right? Uh, a Levite is born into service. There's this inversion here that when it came to their experience in Egypt, proven by the fact that Moshe and Aaron could apparently come and go as they want, huh? they, they, they apparently weren't enslaved, right? Now you could read this as like they were, you know, capos of the Judenrat, right? These were Jews who were working for or, 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 or at least on the, without being nearly as oppressed by the enemy, or is it they were just spared the, the severity of slavery, or is this a silly reading, right? And it's, and of course they were enslaved and what, what Pharaoh meant was, I don't expect you to be appearing in my palace. I expect you back in the flesh pots. But that's Rashi's explanation of that. But the other the other explanation could be the fact that Pharaoh was a little more lenient towards Moses because he had raised Moses in the in the in his uh, home. Yes, and then that and then it's a familial connection that extends to Aaron as opposed to Moshe's tribal connection. Correct. Correct. Um, and there's nothing that suggests when Moshe is born that, um, that the man of the house of Levi who gave birth to Moshe was living, um, any kind of a different life in Egypt than were his tri- other members of different tribes. But, uh, e- even if Rashi doesn't come to this conclusion that they weren't enslaved, I think someone asked the question last time, how did Moshe and Aaron get into the palace, right? Uh, you know, how did we, we think about the imagery of Purim, you know, without the golden scepter having been laid upon them, giving them permission to be in the presence of the king. What, it, it is, an, it is a, a, um, a lacuna in the story that when Moshe is standing and he hasn't done the tricks yet, it's not like he's shown in any way that he's a representative of a powerful God. We go from Moshe finally being convinced to take the job to, well, how does the, how does it actually say it? Um, 
all of a sudden they showed up and they started talking to Pharaoh. Rashi through Shmot Rabba says it must be that they had a different status. Right? Barbara, as you're suggesting, could be status related to Moshe's experience in the palace or mm-hmm. Rashi's choice, the tribe. Tova? Um, I just wanted to, wanted to, well, first of all, comment on that in a way it seems sort of a back formation because we now see, of course, Levite as very much distinguished from the other tribes. But at this time, we're thinking historically or chronologically, that distinction has not been made per se. They haven't been given the special tasks that are going to set them apart and have them be the, the tribe without a land, but with a different kind of duty. And wondering if that is then ascribed to the role that, that Aaron and Moshe play at this time leads to that distinction, or is it just somehow from creation, 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 it was that question, but then I can't help reflecting on the irony that a maybe somewhat quixotical, but, but certainly promoted uh, notion of in more modern historiography is the possibility that it was really the Levites as a people who were, had an experience in Egypt that they then brought that heritage with them into the land of Judah, where it was transmitted to a people who were always there and had actually never suffered exile themselves, but create, brought that tradition of slavery and leaving Egypt. And it would be really ironic if on one hand that proposal is made, it's the Levites who actually suffered something like this. And now we're saying they escaped it at some level. No, that's fascinating. I've, I've never come across that. Reading at oh, you all. haven't heard that? Can you, oh, yeah, about, no. can you say more about that? Well, it's, it's as I said, it's not a generally accepted. It, it partly goes back to uh, one of the early Greek historians who talks about the origins of the Jews as having been the people who came out of Libya, actually, and spent some time, and they were afflicted with skin disease. That's another aspect of his story. Uh, and that that was identified with the Levites but more in more contemporary times that there, that's been one suggestion that the majority of the people who later came to identify themselves as Yehudit, as Jews, probably never had this exile experience of, among their ancestors, but rather it was one group, which also explains or uh, explains to some degree why the Levites did not have land, why they had this special status it's it's not a mainstream opinion, but it's one that's out there. <laughs> it is fascinating. It's fascinating on its own. It's fascinating compared to this read of the Levites being freed yeah. from slavery. I'm not sure what to do with it, but I but I but I want to <laughs> want to linger on it. I'd never come across that. Right? Yeah. Like it's it's always wonderful and rich, and I don't know, challenging to our nostalgic understanding of the tradition when we have the audacity to bring in history, <laughs> right? Overlaid upon text, right? Because because at some point we might know with greater clarity what actually happened when nomads arrived in the land of Canaan in the 12th century BCE and what will that do to our, you know, our, our, our holidays and our sense of faith. So it's, it's, but it, but it's fascinating to I'll expand our minds in that direction. A welcome Joel and Rick. I'm glad you got the uh, email. I'm so sorry about that. I, I wasn't aware that the email wasn't sent until I was walking out of Minion this morning and I said to Larry, seen a few minutes and he looked at me as if I had no idea what I was talking about. And I yeah. checked my outbox 
And I sent this email twice yesterday and it was just sitting in my outbox. I have no idea why it wasn't sent. So I apologize. Um, I hope others will get it, get it in time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go to the next verse. Um, Rick, do you want to read a uh, verse where uh, chapter five, verse, uh, verse five. Okay. Um, sure. <clears throat> I also, uh, um, I heard about that Luvim uh, idea that there was other people. That's what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, which makes a little bit of sense because um, the Levites get a lot of press in the Torah. So who writes the stories? The people who were in charge of the people. So, um, um, yeah, anyway. But, okay, uh, verse 5. Chapter 5, uh, verse 5. Vayomer paro, hein rabim ata im haaretz. Am haaretz. Am haaretz. Did I say im? Yeah. Okay. Shouldn't do that. Am haaretz. Vahishbatem otam misivlotam. As you're translating this one, remember that the Torah does not have punctuation. And this verse needs punctuation, I'm pretty sure, to make sense of the tone of it. Because if you read it declaratively, it's going to be a weird verse. So, but see what you can do. I only know yeah. punctuation by tropes. So, right. Well, the trope gives you gives you a little bit of like separation, but it doesn't tell you the tone of voice. It, it doesn't tell you exclamation point, period, or question mark. Okay. No, no interrogative. Okay. Okay. Ayomer Paro. Pharaoh said, we're good with that. So far, I'm great. <laughs> so Hain is like Hine, it's beholds, is mm-hmm. what Silverman has here. Rabim is many rabbis. No? <laughs> just, that be, many, just the many. Would that be Rabim with another Yud? Rab, 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 rabanim, Rabim. Go ahead. Rabanim, yes. Ata, yeah. now. So, uh, Behold, there's many now, uh, Atah, Amharet. So that's the subject of the Rabim, I suppose, although Am is singular and Rabim is plural. Uh, the people of the land. Mm-hmm. Is this the first time we've had Amharets like that with the hyphens? Like uh, it's a we, unit? I think we have Amharets back in um, the interaction between Abraham and Abimelech over the sale of Baran and Machpelah. Obviously, in well, maybe it's not obvious. In in colloquial Jew, Jew speak, an amaaretz modern Hebrew, yeah, is is a boor, right? right. Like someone who, who's who's just a person of the land and knows nothing. Like all the all the amaratzim, it's a pejorative. In standard Hebrew, it's not that at all. Amaaret in biblical Hebrew, it's it's people who are land people, and 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 who were land who were land people back then. Almost all of them, right? People work in the land. Mm-hmm. So um, what, what it's turned into. In, in how Jews speak to one another is very different than the original. And, and even biblical Hebrew and rabbinic Hebrew referring to people who are working the land, uh, that's a different concept than how Pharaoh might have been using it. And we'll ask the question, what does Pharaoh mean? To whom is Pharaoh referring when he's referring to Amaretz? And even before you finish translating the verse, just notice that between verses four and verses five, particularly if you wanted to take a, uh, a biblical, a critical approach to this, We've got the same character speaking two verses in a row with no interruption, but with different name. So it's Vayomer Alehem Mitzrayim and then Vayomer Paro, right? So, you know, uh, lest God strike me down, is this two different verse, versions of a reaction that Pharaoh had to Moses and Aaron that 
came from different sources and got stitched together? Or what are we supposed to imagine that something happens between verses four and five? But verse four ends as if it's the end of a concept, right? Because he's, he's dispatched them. Go back to your, go back to your work. You would think that the next person to speak would be not Pharaoh. And all of a sudden Pharaoh is speaking again. I can't resolve that, but I wanted to point it out to you. So Pharaoh is now saying again that, that, that the, the people of the land are many now. That's what the words mean. What does it mean mean? We'll figure it out. Go ahead. Okay. Well, since you brought up the uh, subject um, in the next verse, Pharaoh commands. So um, uh, that, that's a third um, statement um, about what Pharaoh's doing. Yeah. So verse- I was thinking maybe the first one was just to Moses and Aaron, and the second one he's talking to his people, but I think it's a continuation He's still talking to Moses and Aaron there, I think. In, in verse 5, he's still, still talking to Moses and Aaron. I can imagine verse 6, as well, which we'll get to, following either verse 4 or verse 5, that, that, fit, that Pharaoh has given his response to Moses and Aaron and then turns around with some spite and enmity and, and makes it even worse for the Israelites. It's interesting that we have both verse 4 and verse 5, and then followed by verse 6. But first deal with the last word, v'hishbatem otam yisiblotam. Yeah, maybe um, if Sal was directing things, um, verse four, uh, verse four, they're still standing there right before him. <clears throat> and so he says, go to your burdens. So then they start leaving. And as they're walking out the the courtyard, he's yelling behind them. Um, uh, the, the, the second part, I don't know, verse five. Anyway, but he's. Yeah. yeah, so t- now try to translate. Um, well, I was going to say, um, I see the word Shabbat in there to rest. Um, Otam is you, them, uh, Otam. Yes. Sorry. So he's Um, well, the Tem looks, um, isn't that, uh, is that also they? No. So it's, it, it's interesting. Tem, you, Otam, them. Right. Their burdens. You have, you have Shabbated them from their work, right? And this is the root Shabbat in the he feel, in the causative. So if Lishbot means to rest, what does Lehashbit mean? To make them rest. To make them rest, right? To get in the way of the work. By the way, we also have that verse when it comes to preparing a house from, from Pesach, because interestingly, Shin Bet Tach can also mean to get rid of, to destroy. You're supposed to get rid of the leaven in your home, which is why, generally speaking, it's not it, it, the sale of the chametz is, is a is a fail is a is a fail safe. But ideally, you're supposed to actually get rid of all the chametz from your home, right? So you're actually supposed to not have it in there, and you just sell the stuff that you couldn't find or was too expensive to sell, right? Um, but here it means to cause them to rest, but not it's not a compliment. It's to cause them to stop from doing the work they're supposed to be doing for me. Also notice that the Torah and Uncleus use the same root, Sivlot here, as before. So you can make the argument that if the Torah is using the same word Sivlotechem for Moshe and Aaron and Sivlotam for the Israelites, that whatever Pharaoh had in mind for one had in mind for the other, in which case it's possible to be the Torah that Pharaoh was saying to them, go back to slavery, right? Same word. Um, what what's the punctuation that kind of led the witness, or what's the tone of the hishbatem otami siblotam? How do you, how do you render what what is what Pharaoh is saying in this sentence? Just what you said. What? 
Um, Put it all together. What? So what? What is? What is Pharaoh saying in this verse? I know what the words mean. What's he saying? Okay. <clears throat> Pharaoh said, "Behold, n- now the Amharats is is many." I would do it like that, um, and just like you said, you've caused them to stop from their burdens. That you, you've caused them to stop doing so, their burdens. Yeah, how does that make sense? Like, what's the connection between the between the two of- clauses? Yeah, Tova. It strikes me the, the bringing up of the many. Uh, well, two things strike me: one, bringing up the number of the people. And also that he defines the Am Haaretz essentially as being Am Yisrael, the people of Israel. And yet Am Haaretz, I mean, in, in a way it's more inclusive. What about the Egyptians who live in that area? Aren't they also Am Haaretz? But anyway, so mm-hmm. that they have become many, that echoes the, the statements that he'll make about why these people are potentially threatening, that they're dangerous because they've so increased in number. They may rise against us, as he talks about it later. Therefore, their sivlotechem, their labors, the things we've imposed on them, that's what is controlling them. So that's how what I see connecting the two, that the numbers have increased, which makes them threatening to us, and you have taken away the hold we had on them, or you have weakened the hold that we had to control them. Fascinating. <clears throat> it's sort of a version of a how dare you, right? I'm going to... I'm going to expand that a bit, Tova, and then offer an alternate mm-hmm. reading. And these are all guesses because we don't know. But you're, what you're saying is, hey, what I was concerned about was they were going to become too many. What I did about that was enslave them. And they have indeed become too many. And you're going to get in the way of the very thing that I have done to impose control upon them. How dare you get, get, get out of my son, right? As if that's like a compelling argument for Moshe and Aaron. As if Moshe and Aaron are going to say, oh, hello, hello. As if Moshe and Aaron are going to say, oh, good argument. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll get out of your way, right? There's almost like an exclamation point question mark at the end of right? Pharaoh said, listen, there are many of them. And, and you're going to get, you're going to stop them from their work. Um, an alternate read of what that might mean, um, because I always find this to be a fascinating verse and, and into the potential psyche, the potential warped psyche of of the bully or the oppressor or the tyrant that the new facts on the ground end up creating an irrefutable pretense for why it has to be maintained right my mind is here because i was in the south a few weeks ago just right imagine the landed gentry plantation omer in 6 1863 saying to you know to to the northern states but but you don't understand what a big plantation i built here there's so much cotton that has to be picked and you're going to take away my slaves, right? The, the, the enterprise that had been built on the back of the oppression ends up being the, the, the rationale to perpetuate, right? And then there, there's no way to refute that from within the system. But, but I've got this whole thing to, to keep going. So how, how can you possibly take it away from me? So I read this as Pharaoh said, there are so many of them now doing so much important work. If they were just a small group of slaves, fine. But it's a, I got a big group of slaves. They're being very productive. And there's so many of them. And you're going to stop that, that machine, right? If I had three slaves, you could let them go. But I have so many. It's so warped. But you can imagine someone 
saying that on a large scale and I, and probably in a smaller scale, like look, look, look what I am relying on. And it doesn't matter that what I'm relying on is so perverted. You're going to take that away from me. Joel Nentova. Who's Yefet? Who is Yefet? Yeah. One of the sons of Noah. Why? No, <laughs> there's some commentary because according to Ibn Ezra, Ibn Ezra agrees with you on that interpretation, but he says that Yefet says that Pharaoh was saying, um, there's, there's already so many of them. I don't care if you, if us, some of them get stricken by pestilence or the sword. It'll, 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 it'll just help them call their numbers up. Aha. <clears throat> uh-huh. So that, that's Ibn Ezra on our verse? Yeah. Uh, I actually didn't have that book open. Let me just take a look at it. Um, huh. Yeah. Yeah, I can pull, I can pull that up on the screen if everyone has that. Hold on one second. Uh, five, five. All right, let me just put, put this up. We can look at that, and then I want to show you another verse to compare what Amarad says somewhere else. Uh, it doesn't say that Moses and Aaron ever leave in this little scene. You know? Can you see my screen? Are you seeing my screen? I can't tell. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So on this verse, my computer's going a little slow today. I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> Ezra. Okay. Yeah, I have no idea who Yefet is in this context. Some, I don't know, some commentator that, there, there are definitely commentators that medieval commentators quote that we don't know of. Um, there are some commentators that we have found because medieval commentators quoted them and then scholars went searching for them. And it just shows you how, not quite random, but how amazing it is that any of these um, survived because there may have been more, there may have been more Rashi's that didn't survive, right? Than that did, right? We've got Rashi, but who's, who's to say that we have all the Rashi's that were, that were possible to get. Um, okay. Amar Yefet ki pirush hein rabi mata amaaretz. Yefet said that the meaning of the people of the land are many. Shalo nachush im yavod dever ocher avalechem. We've got so many, it won't bother us if pestilence or sword falls about them. Ki rabim heim hasovlim. The ones who are working are many. Ulafidati, but I, the Zemnezer saying, she pirushom lachagdola atemevakshim lahashbit. It's, it's, uh, right. So Baruch Shekibanti, that what, 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 Ibn Ezra saying is, how dare you ask me to do this? I've got so much writing on these slaves who are working so hard. Uh, before we get to Tova and then to Larry, let me just show you this verse. You were asking where Ama'aretz comes beforehand. So this is um, Chai Sarah, Abraham uh, negotiating with, um, no, with, um, what's his name? Efron. Efron, thank you, for the purchase <clears throat> of, the, uh, of the plot for Sarah. Um, going back a verse, Shma'enu Aruni Nesiel Ohim Atabitochenu. Ephron says back to him, "You're a prince amongst us, b'mevchark farenu." In the choice of graves, or <coughs> uh, bury your dead. Ish b'menu et kirolo yechleim yuchamim korvetecha. Not a person among us will get in the way of your burying whom you want to bury, where you want to bury. By Yakom Avraham, Avraham got up. By Yishtachu, he got up and then he got down. He sat and he got down. La'am ha'aretz to the people of the land, b'levnei Clearly, it doesn't mean here um, a boor, right, adult, that, like, as does in like rabbinic Hebrew, nor does it mean um, the people working the land and slaves. It's, it's the land of gentry, in fact, right? He, he gave 
obeisance to the people around him who were potentially being gracious enough in in and not withholding property to bury his dead. So it 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 sometimes idioms just just mean like there are words that create idioms, and sometimes those words also mean just the words, right? So am haaretz is an idiom, but am haaretz can sometimes just mean the people of the land, right? The people of the land who own land uh, in Ephron's era, and the people who are working the land in this context. And there it was, and there it was non-Jews. So the am haaretz here could certainly mean the Egyptians as well. Yeah, right. but but. It would be hard to find that in context because Pharaoh is saying you, Moses and Aaron are interrupting them from their burdens. Well, the chain reaction, if I let the Hebrew slaves go, then all the other slaves I've I've accumulated from all the other peoples that I conquered and took their people, they're going to want to go out too. So it's um, possibly, possibly it could be both. Bova was waiting and then Larry Diane. Um, It was uh, back to your analogy you were making uh, in reference to the South. I don't know if this came up or you uh, heard it when you were on the trip, but that was one of the main arguments at the Constitutional Convention that almost brought the convention down because the Southerners, because there was a strong abolitionist strain among uh, some of the delegates and the Southerners basically were saying, and at that time, the whole sort of mythic covering, the, the justification for slavery had not been developed as thoroughly uh, and uh, many of them denounced the institution as being evil, but they described it as this institution which our forefathers have burdened us with. Yeah. And exactly what you were saying, uh, essentially our economy, our livelihood would crash if yeah. you take away this institution. And the irony was at the time, many of them acknowledged, you know, sort of regretfully, but we're stuck with this. It's on our shoulders. You can't do this to us or we're not going to be part of a nation that does this to us. Yeah. I'm thinking that if someone more left on Israel politics than I could give, could write a scathing Dvar Torah on the situation in Judea and Samaria, West Bank, based on this reading, right? Because what an argument that I'm actually somewhat sympathetic towards geopolitically, but what's the argument of many people of the Israeli government and the, and certainly the right wing um, Israeli government for why there's not going to be a complete evacuation of Judea and Samaria. Look how many people live there already. Like look, right. The, the look, look at the facts on the ground, what we're going to uproot Efrat. If it was just a hilltop settlement. Okay. Right. So the, the, that, that falls on deaf ears to the people who say, yes, but you're there inappropriately you're there as an egregious violation of human rights blah blah blah, blah. i i'm I, I take a more nuanced look at the entire situation but you can imagine someone saying that's a pharaonic thing to say right your argument for why you're not getting rid of it is because it's become such a big enterprise well that's the problem that's the very problem right and that's why when um you know that people go apoplectic when uh settlements are are expanded or um or made new because it seems to be another thing another peg in the tent, that's going to be harder to uproot. And partially that's the point, right? And so depending on whether or not you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, you're going to look at that differently. But that is how, if we, if we accept Ibn Ezra's read of this verse, and as we've seen in the second, Rashi agrees with him, that's the very argument Pharaoh is making. How can you expect me to part with such a massive, significant, you know, part of my enterprise? Larry, Diane? So it's just me and Millie. 
I got about 20 things to say. I may probably remember two of them. But so responding first to this last discussion, I disagree. Pharaoh's not talking about, about freeing them. Pharaoh, Pharaoh's only been asked to let them go out and worship. He doesn't want to give them the day off. Mm. So he's simply saying, I'm not giving them the day off. They have to work. <clears throat> Secondly, remember the last time we saw Pharaoh before the, this chapter? Anybody remember? It was way back in chapter one. And what he said, the last thing the Pharaoh said in chapter one was, every boy that's in the, is born, you should fling to the Nile and every girl you should let live. This is after he was told that the midwives were, 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 were not doing their, not doing their job. Now here it is sometime after because Moses has had all this stuff happen in the middle. And there's not a word about, well, my plan didn't work and they still are many. So you can imagine that Pharaoh's already pretty teed off about the fact that he tried to 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 um, diminish their numbers, and now they're they're huge, and in fact he's benefiting from their size because he's enslaved them. Um, thirdly, um, I'm looking at this <clears throat> at, at this first part of this chapter, <clears throat> and I'm and wondering something we've I think we've talked about is why is he giving all this kavod to Moses and to and to Aaron? In, in a minute, as we're going to see, he's going to tell the taskmasters, both the Egyptians and the uh, Hebrew taskmasters, to to go even more. Yeah, yeah, we're, I'm here. Even more burden the people by having them make the uh, bricks without straw. Why doesn't he just throw them out on their butts and say, get out of here? Why is he bothered, bothering to give all these explanations to, to Moses and, and to Aaron? Clearly, as has been mentioned before, that they are a status quite different from the Amha'aretz that he's talking about right here. Whether in fact they're even Hebrews is another matter that I know that people have written about and I can't, can't, can't speak to, can't speak to that. Um, and finally, I guess I don't see what you see in terms of having been a break between um, verse four and five. It just seems to me to be a continuation of this discussion um, between Pharaoh and um, and Moses, uh, Moses and Aaron. And it's after verse five that he turns and they more or less disappear from the conversation. I, I can make it work, but I guess I would say that verse six could follow either verse four or verse five and didn't need both because both verse four and verse five is a Pharaoh expressing his, his response saying the answer is no. I need them to do their work. And then verse six, which we'll get to is, and by the way, because you asked, I'm going to make it even harder for that, but I'm not sure we're getting data in one verse or the other four or five that, that is that the other one sorely lacks. So a slightly different way of saying it. But that and and it's just intriguing to me that it's Melach Mitzrayim and Paro. So that it gets it gets me thinking about what the origin of those verses are. And, yeah, I just say one one response to that, because we're gonna, I hope we're gonna get to it today. I think that there's a scene change between verse four and uh, five and six. It's not even clear to me that Moses and Aaron know what Pharaoh is going to do. Yeah. Yeah, the Bayom Hahu in the beginning of verse 6 suggests that the Torah wants us to know that it's happening immediately, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's happening in the presence of Moshe and Aaron. Right. Well, listen, at the end of verse 4, as I said before, they're dispatched. So if the, if the, if the, 
king of Egypt says, you can imagine five seconds later, Moshe and Aaron are no longer standing in front of him, which is what, which is why verse five is odd to me because he seems to still be speaking to them. It's as if he said, oh, oh, and one more thing, right? Oh, and one more thing. Palumbo. <laughs> Let's look at what Rashi says on Hain Rabbi Mata Ama Aretz. Uh, well, can, I just, can I just add one more? I forget. forget no, go ahead, sure. I want to dedicate this to the memory of my father. It's his yard site today. And my father was a big fan of Rashi. Mm. Vic, Vic Rashi, because he was Rashi. he was still a Yankee fan in the 40s when Vic Rashi was pitching, uh, and he he only moved to Detroit just shortly before I was born. And um, in deference to my mother, he did something that you couldn't possibly do, which is he changed his loyalties, and he actually became a Tiger fan, even rooting for the Tigers over the Yankees when they would play, as they will today. I was going to say at 3.40 Pacific time today, I will be doing your father's uh, memory a dishonor by hoping that his team loses. <laughs> but may, may his memory be a blessing. Thank you, uh, Larry. Okay, uh, Rick, you're up for Rashi and Hain Rabima Ta'ama Aretz? Sure. Um, yeah, okay. Hain Rabima Ta'ama Aretz, Shehavoda Mutelet, Alehem, Ve'atem mashbitim otam misiv lotam. Hef. Hefsed. Hefsed. That's two dots. Gadol huze. Okay. Um, okay. Shavoda. Got the work. Um, Mutelet. You know what lahatil you know means? Tiul sounds familiar, but I don't know. It's, it's a different uh, word, right? Different, different word. Lahatil <clears throat> means to um, to be dependent on or to to be to be hung on. So so habuda mutelat aleha means that the work is heavy upon them. It, it, it's 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 they, they are laden with it, right? They, it, it is it is now their obligation. Okay. Yeah, alehem on them. Speaking about the Amharats, I suppose, not Moses and Aaron. Correct. Ve'atem and, and you must be teams. So that's the same Shabbat, uh, Otam. You're uh, releasing them or you're causing right. them not to do the, their burdens. Right. And then Hefseid, uh, I don't know. Lahafseid means to lose. Hefseid is, is the noun. It means a loss. And it refers to as a fin- it's a financial loss. Like for instance, going back to the chametz, the the reason why we permit the um, the sale of chametz and, and are not well, we're supposed to get rid of the breadcrumbs and the crackers and the half boxes of cereal from our houses before Pesach, but not our whiskey cabinets. All joking aside, is that if we have to you know you know not use thirty four dollars of, of of bread and rolls in our freezer and give them away to people who are homeless or or we have to destroy them, not a big deal. But if every person who had hundreds or thousands of dollars of liquid chametz in their cabinet had to actually get rid of it before Pesach, that would be a hefsed maruba, too big of a loss. And that's why the sale is permitted, right? We're not required to suffer such a financial loss simply to observe Pesach. So hefsed is a loss and it's a, it's a, in the context of a financial loss. Hefsed gadol. Who's there? So um, it'd be a great loss to the Egyptian economy. Yeah, to me, right? So this is Rashi's way of agreeing with Ibn Ezra, right? Like um, this, and 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 drawing together the significance of why 
the notion of there being many of them in the beginning of the verse is, is connected to um, you, you're, you're having the audacity motion, Aaron, of stopping them from the work in the second half of the verse. This will be a big loss for me, and I'm not willing to tolerate it. I'm not even willing to consider it. Good. Uh, anything else in that verse? Let's start the next verse. I'm going to have to leave a minute too early to rush to a doctor's appointment. Everything's okay, just a regular appointment. Um, so why don't I read verse six just to get us going, and then we'll pick this up next time. Vaitsav paro, Pharaoh commanded, Bayomahu, on that very day, et hanogsim ba'am. He commanded the, the people who are no guessing to no guesses to oppress. These are the taskmasters, the slave, the slave drivers, those who were uh, slave driving Ba'am amongst the people, Viet Shotrav, and, uh, um, the, it's interesting, um, it, the, the suffix is it's as if it's am. So, and, and the people's, uh, policemen or, uh, or officers, the ones who were in charge, lay more saying. So what are they going to say? We're not going to find that until verse seven, but we know that immediately after Moses and Aaron are done speaking with Pharaoh and he's expressed his, his, um, unwillingness to be flexible. The next thing he does is issues an edict, right? Which is also par for the course when it comes to, um, tyrants, right? That if, that one of the reasons why, let's just talk, you know, the real politic of today, one of the reasons why even the great United States of America is nervous about, um, intervening more strongly into, uh, the situation in Ukraine is because of the concern that Putin is going to respond, not only not accede to the demand, but actually make things worse as a, as a counterpoint, right? If you dare to get in the way of what I'm doing, it's going to get worse, not better. Um, you know, pa- parents do that all the time with their children, right? If you, you, if you push, push a line, the answer is no. If you push, not only is the answer not going to be yes, but it's going to be, it's going to be even more challenging for you because I'm not going to, not going to tolerate being pushed farther and farther. So we don't know what he's going to do yet. I mean, we may know because we know the story, but the verse is there's a Sivui, there's a command coming directly to the taskmaster. Uh, and when we uh, meet next time, we will pick up on that spot. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.